Yeah, it's hard to imagine camping now, today, with the weather outside, but come August, it'll be beautiful and amazing, and hope we all get to hang out together. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we got some lawn games planned, too, so that'll be good. Uh, well, so today we're going to start our series called Big Questions, and I'll tell you, like, I, I never know what questions are coming, so this series um, um, always makes me a little nervous, but it's a good nervous. It's like, no, I want to know what questions people have, and so, uh, so we're going to, thanks, Stephen, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, so we're going to do three weeks of this series, in this series, Big Questions. You guys can still text in your questions if you have if you have questions, we'll try to get to all of them. I can't guarantee that we can cover every question, um, but we're going to try. Um, so yeah, but before we do that, uh, today we're going we're to talk about two questions, and uh, they, they deal with some interesting topics. One deals with uh, other religious texts, other religious books, and the, the second one deals with um, fallen leaders in the church. So some real good ones today, guys. Um, but what I want to do, because of the nature of what we're talking about today, I want to I pray before we get into it. It's um, a good idea. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for today. I thank you, I thank you that we get to look forward to summer. Um, and with all that that has with it, God, we pray for rest, rejuvenation. Uh, we pray for sunshine, God. Um, and we pray for community to be built this summer. Um, but Lord, as we turn to your, to your word today, and we talk about um, what other people believe. We talk about other people who have, have served in the church and, and, and fallen and, and what to do with, with their teaching. God, I pray that, Lord, this wouldn't be about disparaging anyone. Uh, but, God, it would be about getting our hearts right and helping us be discerning about how to live this life in Christ. Um, it is a tough road. And it, is, it does take discernment and wisdom. And so we pray for that this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide uh, this time as we look at these questions, God, that you would really be the one uh, teaching our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so what the cool thing about this series is you guys get to set the table for whatever we talk about. So I hope you feel empowered in that. Um, the way it's going to work is I'll take the first two weeks and then Brian is going to teach that last week. So thankful for Brian and, and all that he's brought to our community um, and as he continues to um, grow in his teaching, um, teaching ability, we have a couple questions that are really like close to his heart that um, I'm excited for him to teach while, uh, while I'm gone on the 26th. But today we're going to kick it off. And so uh, I basically chose these two questions that we're going to look at today because they kind of come from a similar vein. There's, there's some similarities. There's some things that we can we can uh, talk about that kind of apply to both questions, um, but they're not the same. They're not the same questions, but I think it'll help get us to like some ideas that we can kind of hang on to uh, as we continue on. And so let's look at the two questions. These are the two actual, uh, actual unedited questions. They're anonymous. I don't know who wrote these. That's the other great part. Maybe you're wondering, does Tyler know? if I'm going to ask this question, and I don't. So if that encourages you to uh, ask the question, go for it. But this is the first question. Is reading or owning religious texts from other religions sinful? Growing up, I was told that even having the, those texts in our house was welcoming demons slash spirits in the home. All right, let's go to the second question. Should we reject or reevaluate 
theology that comes from problematic churches backslash pastors, parentheses, i.e., Mars Hill, Ravi Zacharias, etc. Uh, question mark. So, uh, easy questions today, really. Like, I'm excited about these. Um, but good. It's good for us to talk about this. It's good for us to wrestle with, okay, what's our relationship like with, with, with teachers that we drew a lot from in the past, but then, you know, they, they, str they fell or they, they, their integrity and character didn't match what they were teaching. It's also really important to figure out, okay, how do I interact with different sets of religious beliefs? And uh, should, I, should I have those in my home for, for a, as a resource or study, or how should I treat uh, other books? These are very Im important questions, and questions that I've wrestled with, too. So um, I'm excited to, to look at these. Um, and really, the question is, how should we engage? How should we engage uh, teaching from those who have, have uh, been disgraced in ministry or, or teachers who've fallen away? Um, or and how should we engage uh, teaching outside of the church? So let's start. Um, I, before we get to either, what I want to do is I want to look and, and kind of frame this, this conversation in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to navigate life as, as his followers. It's sort of his manifesto for what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Then he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased, trees, a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so this is actually a, a good place to start for us today as we, as we look at these questions. We're talking about teaching, people teaching us religious authorities outside the church and inside the church. And Jesus tells us, and we, you might have heard this scripture, that the, the road to life is narrow and difficult. The way to destruction is wide and open, and that we actually need help and discernment in navigating that narrow way to life. And I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't get after, you know, um, drug, sex, and rock and roll when he says what to look out for. He talks about false prophets. Like right after that, that um, passage where he, where he talks about the road is narrow and the, the gate is wide that leads to dis destruction— he, he mentioned, he says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. And that word beware in Greek is proseho, and it means to pay attention to, to assess, to be careful. And so that's what we've got to do when we um, allow someone to teach us about God. Uh, we've got to pay attention to their fruit. He talks about paying attention to the fruit of their life. We'll know them by their fruit. And of course, we have a model of what 
um, what life should look like in the person of Jesus. And so we can measure someone by their fruit. Are they living like Jesus? Are they, are they living with integrity? And so regardless of, um, uh, uh, of whoever we're, we're learning from, we can't separate the, the message from the messenger. You know, we can't separate the, the message from the messenger. They go together. And I'm not saying that these are, these, everything's the same. These two questions are the same. They're not. I'm not saying that a teacher that's fallen away is the same as a, uh, a religious leader from a, another religion. Um, I'm not, not saying that. But what I am saying is there's a principle here that we need to examine the fruit of those who want to teach us about God. And so when it comes to um, other religious texts, which we'll talk about first, uh, we need to recognize who we follow. Because Jesus is not the same as Muhammad. And Jesus is not the same as Buddha. And Jesus is not the same as Joseph Smith. They're different. They're different. And we need to look at the, at the fruit of their lives. And that's what Jesus is, is challenging us to do. And, and what you'll do when you, you find that is that Jesus is the most compelling character. Jesus is the most compelling character. He is the light of the world. He is the one willing to die to save humanity. So scripture talks extensively in the Old Testament about both false prophets and false teachers. And so that common principle is you'll recognize them by their fruits. And so let's go first to this question about religious texts. Should I have them in my home? How should I interact with them? Should I read them? Should I own them? And I'll just start by saying, um, I've, you know, I've studied different world religions I do have a Quran. I do have a Book of Mormon. They're not on my bookshelf. I don't, I don't keep them on my, on my bookshelf. I, that's sort of my preference. Um, both of these books were given to me by friends uh, who, you know, fought a Mormon friend and a, a Muslim friend and who I had had some conversation with about their faith. And I, I've mentioned before, um, when, I, when I was 20 years old, I, I got a chance to go to London, and I spent time sharing Jesus with Muslim people, and it was one of the most challenging but rewarding experiences of my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything, and uh, there were some times that seemed a little, like, combative um, in, in our conversation, but for the most part, it was really good, and it really challenged me, and I, and I remember thinking, like, wow, when I was 20, like, these guys are as passionate about their faith as I am about mine, and that really challenged me. And so, um, after I was, was given a, a Quran, I, I remember reading it, and I, I read some of it. I didn't read the whole thing, and it was sort of an intense experience, and the tension came from the fact that um, the question of who is Jesus, because Jesus in the Quran is not the same as Jesus in scripture. And so I really wrestled with that. But what that experience did for me is it made me ask that question and seek deeper and, and, and go after Jesus harder and read my Bible and say, Jesus, who are you really? And so it was a good experience for me. And what you'll find if you dig a little bit is many other religions include Jesus in what they believe. Um, Muslims see Jesus as a prophet uh, Jesus is respected as a god in Hinduism. Jesus see, is seen as a god in, in Mormonism, or if you're a Jehovah's Witness. Um, it's amazing, actually, if you look at other faiths, 
uh, watching Jesus's name pop up. And it, Jesus, I feel like Jesus is so compelling that he has a place in all these different religious beliefs. And so this experience that I had in engaging and in, in learning about somebody else's faith actually challenged me to go deeper in mine. Because what I realized was, oh man, how, how, how uh, firm is my grasp on who Jesus is? Like, do I really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I really believe that God could be man? And so I, I dove in, and, and I spent one night, I read the book of John, and I was going to read it until I got my answer. And I came to chapter 8, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then after he says that, the Pharisees turn to stone him because he's saying that he is God. And I remember reading that and feeling so much peace and grounding in my faith. Like, no, Jesus, you are the authority. You are God. Like, Jesus spoke to me in that moment. And so for me, when I, uh, when I read, uh, or w I have a couple other, you know, religious texts and, and different books and stuff like that, but I don't keep them, like, readily accessible because I, I, I don't, I'm not equating that with the truth of God's word. And so what I would say in response to this question is that I don't think owning another religious text is necessarily sinful unless it challenges your conscience and your faith. Unless it challenges your conscience or your faith. If your faith is challenged um, by having another religious text uh, close by, then don't have it. It's not worth it. It's not worth having it. Um, for me, I, I have those books so I can understand where my friends are coming from, where I can, stand, where I can understand where other people are coming from, because at the end of the day, I want to understand where people are coming from so that I can share the good news about Jesus to them. Because it's good news. And I want to know uh, where other people are coming from. And I, but I would also say that might not be where you're at. And if your conscience tells you no, don't do it. It's not worth it. Like, there could be an attachment there that you need to avoid. It could be, you know, like any temptation, if you have something in the house, you might just need to get it out of the house, put it away, get rid of it. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think this is one of those issues of conscience, like uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 8. Because what we're saying is, if you believe the Bible for what it says. And if you believe that it's the word of God and Jesus is the son of God, then what you're saying is other religions and, and other, uh, other frameworks for understanding God, they may have a kernel of truth in them, but ultimately they're a distortion of the truth. They're a distortion of the truth. And we could look at um, Hinduism, for example, so Hinduism would accept Jesus as a god, but he's just a small figure in a sea of many, many gods. Um, there's a professor I had, Paul Metzger, he explained it this way. He says, Hinduism claims to favor inclusive oneness. Its innumerable duty, uh, deities are manifestations of one supreme deity, which is beyond naming. And that's interesting. Um, like Buddhism also believes that you can't name God. Both Hinduism and Buddhism would claim that you can't name God. But yet, if you, we believe as Christians, and to contrast that, that God has named himself to us. 
God has named himself to us in the person of Jesus. And God named himself to us because he wants us to know him. And so you know what? That's good news. That's good news to, uh, to Buddhists who are seeking. That's good news to Hindus who are seeking. It's like, no, God is not beyond naming. He actually wants you to know him. So it can be powerful to know a little bit about what other people believe. In Acts 4.12, Peter says this of Jesus, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by, we, by which we must be saved. God made it, made it easy for humanity. He says, I gave you my son Jesus so that you could all know me. And so what we get to do is if we do enter into these conversations, we can learn and share, and, and, and you realize how great your God is how great Jesus is. But we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. It might seem easier to say they're all the same. Uh, there, it might be easier to do that. Um, but if we, if we say that, then we can easily be led astray, right? We, we'll, we'll get thrown off the narrow road. At the same time, I don't want to discourage you today from talking with people who believe differently than you. That's why God has us on the earth, right? To love and to dialogue and to share. Like, learn, listen. You can't have a relationship if you're not willing to listen, right? But we need to have, the bigger issue is we need to be secure in what we believe about God. We need to be secure in our relationship with Jesus. And we need to really take seriously God's word. Like, we need to passionately uh, passionately absorb God's word so that we don't get distracted. We don't get confused. Um, we don't get thrown off when somebody presents us with a different set of beliefs because we know what we believe. And this could be bigger than, than other religions, right? This could be like today, people talk about the political religions. That some people, instead of religion, uh, follow one political stream of thinking or one talking head. And we need to be, that might be more of a temptation. We might need to be aware of that in our lives. We need to, as it says, beware. Pay attention to who we listen to. Assess who we're listening to and, and the life that they're living. And, and the way that we can do that, the way that we can discern, is to make sure that we are living day by day in God's word. That we are, that we are uh, absorbing and and following the word of God. That's, this is what God's given us. For everything we need for life and godliness is in God's word. All right. Um, hopefully that helped answer that question. Um, if you, yeah, feel free to send follow-ups or, or catch me after if you want to talk more about that, if you have something more specific. Uh, if there's one system of belief that you are um, wrestling with right now, man, I'd love to talk to you about that. So, um, but I do want to make room for the second question, which is, um, should we reject or evaluate, reevaluate theology that comes from problematic churches or pastors, i.e. Mars Hill, Ravi Zacharias, etc.? So this question is a little bit closer to home. Uh, these names are probably some names that you've maybe listened to. And if not these names, maybe Bill Hybels, maybe, um, yeah, maybe others, maybe uh, uh, Hillsong, you know. There's many, uh, many uh, ministries and people that are sort of under the, 
uh, under the microscope. And the church has kind of taken some hits recently, and we see stories, we see um, documentaries and, and podcasts about um, different churches and their failings and leaders and their failings. And so, and probably the one that I've listened to the most was the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, that podcast, because it happened here in Seattle. Um, Mars Hill was a huge deal uh, in Seattle, very influential, and, and fell apart. And so I was really interested. I'd, I'd gone to Mars Hill when I was in college a little bit, and so I was really interested to, to find out what was going on there. Um, basically, they talked about a, a toxic leadership culture that came from their lead pastor, Mark Driscoll, uh, you know, basically uh, being unwilling to be accountable, uh, said a lot of things that were derogatory to women, um, and, and so just a lot of different, a lot of different things. There's a, you know, there's a billion hours of podcast. If you want the whole story, you can, you can listen to it. Um, but while it's hard to hear these stories, while it's hard to hear about churches and leaders falling and failing, I think we do need to be honest and listen. Because I think we all have something to learn. Our hope in listening to these stories of fallen leaders is not to, um, is not to point the finger, but it's to, it, it's to ask, how can we avoid these same mistakes, right? What did we do wrong, and how can we avoid these same mistakes in the future? And I know from talking, you know, from many of you, like, you, you've also been affected by different teachers, and and, and some that are on this list here. And um, you question like, hey, is everything that I've been taught by this teacher, this leader, is it a lie? Do I need to throw it all away? Have I been led astray? And unfortunately for some people, when they have a bad experience with a Christian leader or a Christian leader falls, it challenges their faith to the core. It challenges their faith to the core. Like, who was I really trusting in? Was it Jesus or was it this leader? And so, and that's heartbreaking. You hear a lot about like people deconstructing their faith today. Oh, I'm just deconstructing. I'm so tired of the church. I'm just going to deconstruct my faith. But what I want to talk about today is two things. When, when a leader falls, it does impact everybody um, that they influence. And unfortunately for some, that means that they end up walking away from the church or even walking away from their faith. But there's two things that I want to talk about because scripture actually has a lot to say about this subject. And the two things I want to talk about are theology and character. And this is a question that brings these two things together. Theology and character are, are very important for us to be aware of. Now the word theology, it just means the study of God. So good theology is good theology. Truth is truth. Someone can lack character but still be able to articulate the truth of God's word. Like, if you learned how to defend your faith by watching Ravi Zacharias, um, I don't think you need to throw everything you learned away. Yes, he did some bad things that did not, he did not, like, voice or repent, and, he, and fortunately he passed away. Um, so there isn't that opportunity. But God can still use the teaching of troubled leaders I mean, even look at your Bible. Um, David had an affair and, uh, and, and killed his lover's husband. Of course, he repented, right? He, he was restored. But still, we have, 
we have his words in our Bible. His son Solomon started walking with the Lord, and towards the end of his life, kind of left for all these other gods and, and religions. And yet we still have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon in, in, in our Bible. So God has used flawed men and women in the past uh, to teach and to lead. And, and guess what? We're all flawed, right? We're all flawed. We all fall short. So God has used flawed men and women uh, to, to redeem, to speak truth, all those things. So you don't have to necessarily throw out everything that you learned from a leader who's been disgraced. At the same time, let's talk about character. The question is, should I keep listening? Should I keep listening to a leader who's been disgraced? And the Bible has a lot to say about who should be leading his church. God has a lot to say about who should be leading his church. And when you read the qualifications for eldership, there's not a whole lot in there about talent. There's a whole lot in there about character. A lot about character. I just want to read um, this passage from Titus. Paul is writing to Titus, who he put in charge of the churches in the island of Crete. And so he's tasked with um, basically bringing up elders and leaders for the church on this island. And, and Paul writes this. This is Titus 1, 7 through 11. He says, For an overseer as God's steward, he, uh, God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or grieve for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, which uh, doesn't sound like a fun party, um, but, but that's, uh, that, that's a certain subset of people at that time. We won't go into the details there. Look what he says. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So they must be silent. So God says, I want my leaders to be above reproach. And you may have heard that term. It's, it's definitely like a Christian term, be above reproach. But basically walk, also we could use the word blameless, um, to, to be above somebody, um, you know, basically somebody taking them down for a character issue. So he wants his, the leaders in his church to be people of integrity, that their deeds would match their words. Um, he isn't looking for, if you read this, he isn't looking for rogue leaders. Uh, he's not looking for leaders that are angry or arrogant, who think they know everything. Um, and, and this idea of uh, empty talkers, it's the idea of just talking flippantly, like not really s speaking the truth with much weight, but just like talking off the top of your head. And, and, uh, it, and so he's saying, you know, don't, don't uh, listen to a teacher who's flippant in what they say. Listen to a teacher who gives proper weight to the word of God. And if they're not living that way, if they're arrogant, if they're angry, if they're quick-tempered, if they're greedy, then they have to be silenced. Like, and, 
He's not saying they need to be offed, you know, but they just, they, they shouldn't be given a stage. So as you read this, think about what we should be looking for and how we should be evaluating leaders in the church. And it has way more to do with character and humility than it does about talent. You know, it's easy to look at the state of the church today and evaluate what churches are doing well based on church size, based on, on how sensational the services are, the sounds, the lights. Uh, I was in Florida a couple years ago. They had fog coming out of the walls, you know. It's pretty cool. But no, that none of that matters. What matters is character. Character matters. And how can you really know if you're, if you're a leader, pastor, the person who's discipling you has high character? You have to know that person. You have to know that person. You can't know that person from watching them from afar. You have to know the person. And if you can't know that pastor really well, like if you're in, in a larger church or you just don't have a connection, you need to at least know that the culture and other leaders in that church. Right? Does this church look and act like Jesus? Is there accountability in place for leadership? Are your leaders submitted, in a th submitted to others? They're not the king, right? Because Christ is the king. It's the name of our church. Um, so yeah, we can't, we can't necessarily know what's going on from a distance, right? So we need to know the person. And that's my biggest argument for the local church, right? Because you get to know people. Right? You're not watching somebody from afar. You're actually, you actually know, can be in relationship with the community. You know the context. This, this is a great argument for why the local church is so important. Um, I want to just bring an example, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but an example why character will trump your message. Um, Bill Hybels, terrific communicator. I used to go to the leadership summit. And I remember one year, Bill shared about this airtight secession plan that he had. You know, he was getting to age 60, and he, and he knew the leaders he was going to pick out, and he shared this whole thing about how we need to be ready for, for secession, like how um, succession, not secession. <laughs> uh, succession, like the next leaders coming in, having the next, the next leadership, uh, the, the pastors ready to go. Um, but then news broke of, uh, sexual infidelity in Bill Hybels' life um, that was investigated by his church, and his whole plan fell apart. Those pastors that he had trained up quit because character is more important than talent or the best plan or the best strategy. Character matters. Um, he also wrote a book uh, called, uh, let's see, it's called uh, Who You Are When No One Is Looking about character. I looked at it up online. It's no longer in print. And we know why it's no longer in print, because character has to match the message, right? Character has to match the message. One book reviewer said, it's a good book, but Bill's life kind of ruined the premise. Right? So you can't really, you know, you, it'd be a sad read for us to read that today. You know, it would feel dishonest. So character has, has to match the message. So I would encourage you to, to know your leaders or, you know, I'm not even talking about pastors. I'm talking about home group leaders. I'm talking about those who you're modeling your life after who are investing in you. Like that's, that's the church, right? We're supposed to 
be known and know others. It's not about uh, the few who are talented and, and receiving. It's about being in relationship. And so I would really stress that. And so my answer to this question is basically, you don't have to throw away all the lessons. You know, if you, if you learned a lot under one teacher who, who fell away, you don't have to throw away all the lessons, but I would encourage you not to go back, but move forward. You know, not to look back, but move forward. And the thing is, leaders can be restored, right? We all fall. We all make mistakes. And, and leaders can be restored. They can truly repent and, and be accountable and go through a process of restoration. And at the end of the day, that's a measure of a great leader. He's like, I made a huge mistake, but I submitted to authority, I repented, and I went through a process of restoration. Like, that's good. If, if, if you have a leader who's not willing to submit to that, that's a major red flag. If you have a leader who's not willing to be accountable. So just uh, as we close today, I just want to share a couple thoughts from, from all of this. Um, just a couple big takeaways uh, as we, as we kind of wrap up. I think the, the big takeaways from both of these topics, one of them is that uh, we should grow our faith through the security and certainty of God's word, that, that we need to be really honed in to God's word and what it says and, and engage this so that we can discern who to listen to and who not to listen to. So that, that the Holy Spirit can, sh can, can form the truth in us, can shape the truth in us. Um, Psalm 119, 105, you may have heard this verse before, but it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, a teacher can teach, but it's, it's God's word that speaks to our hearts, right? It's God's word that forms us. And when we constantly engage in God's word, he will guide us. He will shape us. He will keep us safe from being distracted or distorted or pulled aside. And then the last takeaway is this. Value someone's character over their talent or charisma. When you're looking for leaders, value someone's character more than their talent. You shouldn't choose a leader based on their speaking ability. You should choose a leader based on the way they live. And that will safeguard you in your walk with Christ. That will help also help you evaluate what is God looking for in me? Because what God wants to see in you is, is not necessarily the most talented or, the, or, or the, you know, the best at what you do, but a heart of humility, a heart of integrity. He wants to see character. Because that's what God wants for his church. He wants us to be a pure and spotless bride. He wants us to be faithful to him. So we need to value faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, these questions. And they're not easy questions to answer. They're hard questions to, to fully complete. There's so much more that we could talk about. There's so many follow-up questions, probably, um, that, that we could discuss. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see the truth uh, rightly. Help us to be hungry for your word, for more of you, uh, so that we can be shaped in the truth, so that we can know the truth and it will set us free. Because ultimately, we don't follow anyone else except for you. 
So, Lord, help us, make us secure in our faith, make us strong in our faith, make us hungry for your word, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.